shout out to the visitors and the guests that we have with us today. Can we make a little bit of noise for the guests and visitors that are with us? We, we are grateful for you. We're grateful that you're with us. We don't take it for granted that you chose to be with us uh, this Sunday as we continue to worship our God together. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I go by Amp. I serve as the pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. We're in a sermon series on the book of Acts. We're nearing its end. Next week will actually be the last week um, in the book of Acts. Some of you might be thinking that's a sigh of relief because we've been here for about seven years, I think, in this sermon series. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 20. We'll get there in a second. Uh, one thing I want to share with you all today, I went, I was on, a, I've talked about it before, I was on a, a mission trip uh, in 2008 uh, in a country in, in West Africa. Uh, had, a, had a great time uh, while I was there. I was noticing some, um, some things uh, with my body that was going on because, you know, the, the food is very different. Um, and it, it, was a, it was a quote unquote third world country. And so they warned us beforehand that you're going to feel a little different. Your stomach might be upset. You might have a few different symptoms or whatever. Uh, and I was experiencing every single symptom that they said we might experience at the time. But I was just, just continuing on. Uh, one morning, so we were in the we we were in the the, the rainy season in, in this country, but which is the colder season, but it was still still pretty hot uh, there for us. And so uh, one morning, I remember being I remember thinking, oh, it's pretty cool this morning, and we were worshiping with uh, with some of the believers there, and I was sitting directly underneath a fan, so I was like, man, I'm really I'm really chilly. Uh, we were there, I mean, it was in there for about probably two or three hours that morning. Came out, it was about 11, 12 o'clock, and I remember people sweating and being hot, and I was extremely cold. And I remember thinking, huh, we might, we might have a, a situation on our hands that we need to investigate further. And uh, I went to one of the women that were leading the trip, and I was like, uh, it's a weird question. Is it hot out here? Because I am freezing. I literally had, had goosebumps on my arms. I was so cold, chill bumps. And then she was like, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's hot just like it always is. And so she put her, her hand on my forehead, and her eyes like, like almost jumped out of her head. Uh, she, was, and she was like, you need some medicine, you need some medicine. She was like, you're, you're burning up. Uh, long story short, I had malaria. Uh, yeah, 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 had malaria. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty bad. I ended up getting better soon, but all the symptoms that I was explaining away as something else were actually symptoms of, of malaria that I had. The reason I, I bring that up is because I talked to uh, the guy who was over the, the, the whole trip, and, he, and he was, they were considering going back the next year. They weren't 100% sure, and they were seeing who I would be interested in going back. And I told him, yeah, I'd be interested in, in, in going back if y'all are doing it again. And he was like, and I'm so thankful you said that. He was like, because a lot of people who have come on trips like this and have experienced something like what you have experienced would have just assumed that this must be God saying, oh, you shouldn't do this anymore. This just ain't for you. This is not the thing for you to do. Some see suffering and maybe as a sign from God that we're not doing what we should be doing. The passage that we're going into today gives us insight into how we should approach suffering as Christians and more specifically as witnesses for Christ. We're back in the passage of scripture that we were in last week in Acts chapter 20, what I refer to as a house of mourning for the apostle Paul as he is giving his last words to the Ephesian elders whom he had been with for about three years sharing with them, sharing Christ with them, building and growing in relationship with them. He knows at this point he will never see them again. Somehow he, God has made him aware that this is his last time with them. So he's, he's overlooking his life and, and considering his time with them in this discourse he has with them. I want to pick up in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. The Apostle Paul says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, 
constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, he's saying, this is the only thing I know that will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. The apostle makes it clear the Holy Spirit is both constraining him to go to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit is letting him know that imprisonment and afflictions will occur in all the cities that he goes to. Verse 24 lets us know why the apostle Paul is willing to go through all of this. He says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He's saying his focus is on finishing the course and the ministry that God has given him. He's referring to the Lord Jesus who knocked him out of his horse, if you recall from earlier in the book of Acts, changed his life. Now Paul sees his life and values his life very differently. And his chief concern is testifying to what he refers to as the gospel of the grace of God. This other passage we'll be looking at in Acts chapter 21, beginning at verse 10, Paul is talking to those who are traveling with him. At this point, he's at the house of a man named Philip. They call him Philip the Evangelist. He's in Caesarea. And here Paul gives us more insight into what he's going to have to endure. He gets more insight, I should say, into what he's going to have to endure. Verse 10 says, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and his hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. The prophet comes like Paul, let me need that belt real quick. Quick sermon illustration. You're going to love it. And he binds up his own hands and feet and says, Paul, this is what's going to happen to you in Jerusalem. Then you're going to be handed over by your own people, the Jews, to the Gentiles. Verse 12. When he heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, this is Luke saying this. Luke is the guy who used by God to write both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which we are currently reading. Two of the longest, uh, arguably the two longest books in the New Testament. And he's saying that he joined in with the other believers saying to the apostle Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. If this is what is going to happen, just don't go. The city of Jerusalem, if you're familiar, has a very long-standing history of God's people, his prophets, his messengers being persecuted, many of which even being killed. This is even a bit of a biblical theme for Jerusalem. Jerusalem was supposed to be the place where where those far and wide could come and learn more about God. The temple was there. They could come and experience the presence of God there in the temple. This is what Jerusalem was set up to be. But instead of it being that place where people from far and wide will come and learn about God, God isn't actually sending prophets to Jerusalem to rebuke them, to call them to turn back to the Lord. And they often persecuted those very prophets. Jesus says as much in Matthew 23, 37. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. And the apostle Paul is going to Jerusalem to join in a long list of God's servants that come to Jerusalem to point the Jews there back to God and then suffer greatly for doing so. Verse 13, here we see Paul's response to those urging him not to go to Jerusalem. It says, then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. The apostle Paul responded first with the question, He says, what are you doing right now? 
As you're pleading with me to not go, all you're doing is breaking my heart. All you're doing is increasing my sadness because I have to go and do this. He's saying, I'm not, he's saying the prophet only said that I was going to be bound up for going. He's saying, I'm willing to be bound up in prison and die for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. He's saying, I'm prepared to die for this. Verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Fam, I just want to draw three observations from this passage that we'll deal with for the rest of our time. The first one is that the Holy Spirit wants us to have realistic expectations about being witnesses. The Holy Spirit wants us to have realistic expectations about being witnesses. There have been many a preacher, many a Christian, that with good intentions have misrepresented the call to follow Jesus. In an attempt to help people see all of the blessings that we have in Christ, and they are many, and they far outweigh anything that we will ever have to sacrifice for our Lord Jesus Christ. In an attempt to emphasize the blessings that we have in him, many have been deceived by those with those good intentions into believing that faithful following of Christ means less suffering in my life. That if I live the way that God has called me to live more faithfully, then one of the ways that God will bless me is by helping me to accomplish my goals, my dreams, helping me to have the type of life that I desire to have because, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm following God. I'm giving what I have to God. So God going to bless me in return and make sure my life turns out the way that I desire for it to turn out. Many have been led to believe that their endeavors, their businesses, their bank accounts will be more profitable if they just have faith in God and follow him faithfully. Many have expected to experience less suffering in their lives if they just follow Jesus. And, and when that doesn't happen, when suffering comes into their life, then they believe that God is not faithful to his promises. Then they believe that Jesus is not trustworthy. They arrive at the conclusion that Jesus isn't who they thought he was because he didn't give them something in reality that he never promised to give them in the first place. Many Christians today question God because to this point, their life hasn't panned out the way they wanted slash expected their life to pan out. I worry that unintentionally, even though our intentions were often good, we have led people to believe Jesus is someone that he is not. Or maybe a better way to say, we have led people to believe that Jesus is a means to us getting the type of life that we want. That he's not the end in and of himself, but rather he's a means to us getting the things that we desire in life. Much harm has been done to the church by having wrong expectations about what it means to be a follower of Christ. I want us to look again in Acts chapter 20. We're going to be jumping back into these verses a lot today. Acts chapter 20, I'll pick up in the middle of verse 22 and read through verse 23. He said, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. This is for him following God. This is for him being faithful to everything that God called him to. Verse 21, I mean, sorry, chapter 21, verse 10 and 11 says, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. I wanted to read those again. Uh, family companies oftentimes will put in their headlines the things that they know you will like about what they are offering. And the things that they think you might not like or might be difficult for you to hear are in the fine print. 
I want to be clear about something. The expectations of the difficulty to follow Jesus are not in the fine print in the Bible. They're in the headlines. They're everywhere. They're not hidden. They're not tucked away somewhere. God wants us to have reasonable expectations. The Holy Spirit who inspired all of the writings of the Bible, he doesn't put them in the fine print. They're in the headlines. We see this in the Apostle Paul's life. We see this in Jesus' life. We see the difficulties. We see it in, in, in David, who was a man after God's own heart. After he was declared to be the future king, Saul, who was still the king, sought to have David killed. He pursued him time and time again. And David went as far as even to protect Saul when he could have taken Saul's life. And he suffered this over, over and over again, time after time, for what? For following God for doing what God had called him to do. The Holy Spirit doesn't put the fact that being witnesses of God will call it sometimes pain and discomfort and even suffering. He doesn't put that in the fine print. It's in the headlines. It's Old Testament. It's New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. I remember I was going through uh, the book of 2 Timothy with a sister in the face. This was probably uh, 15 plus years ago. And was going through, and in that book, the Apostle Paul, he talks a lot about his own suffering and he warns Timothy about a lot of the suffering that Timothy will have to endure. And the sister in the face was saying, I don't know if this is a book that, that, that we need to be going through with, with the new believers, with, with the baby Christians. Like, I don't know, this just might scare them away. And I was like, no, I actually believe the opposite is true. I actually believe the opposite to be true. I actually believe it's best for us to know. Now, we need to be very clear that, as I said a little bit earlier, that, that everything that we receive in Christ infinitely outweighs anything we'll ever sacrifice for him. Infinitely outweighs. Every sacrifice for Christ is always worth it. But at the same time, we got to be honest about the cost. At the same time, we have to be real and true and faithfully represent what the call to follow Christ is really all about. Our faith is not a bait and switch situation. There are many people who have given up on the church or on God because they never received what someone told them that God was promising them. God doesn't promise us that our life will have all the comfort, all the comfortable things that we want. No, he promises us that he is the God of all comfort and he gives us himself. So our faithfulness to God doesn't always lead to more comfortable circumstances in our life, but it does lead to a deeper knowledge and experience of the God of all comfort. So we are able to be comforted even when our situations and circumstances are not necessarily comfortable. That is how he gives us comfort, not by promising that things in this life will work the way that we desire them, but to say, no, I am the God of all comfort and I am with you. It's Jesus saying, I'm going to send the comforter to you. He knew what he was sending his disciples to do. He knew they weren't able to do it on their own. And so he sent his spirit to be the comforter for us. One of the reasons I want to say this, I wanted to make sure we brought this up. As we think about being witnesses of Christ, as we think about joining God in his mission, I think if we don't have appropriate expectations, we'll be Christians that are doing what I call waiting for the mission of God to go on sale. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. There is a cost to joining God in his mission. We see it all throughout the scriptures. But I feel like we're waiting for that discount image. We're waiting for it to cost less. You know what I'm saying? Like we want the 50% off mission of God. 
I mean, we like the mission of God. Maybe we want to have it, but we just want to, we waiting on it to go on sale. You know, Black Friday coming up. You know what I'm talking about? We're waiting for Black Friday mission to come around so that we can, we can pay a lesser cost for the mission that God has called us to. But that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. I, we need to have appropriate expectations so that we know this is going to be challenging. This is going to be difficult. We do have a comforter. We do have the God of all comfort who is with us through it all. And we as the people of God are going to need to be able to find comfort in God if we are to collectively be the witnesses that he has created us to be. I'm going to say that again. We as the people of God are going to need to be able to find comfort in God if we are to collectively be the witnesses he has created us to be, because oftentimes the suffering that we endure causes us to want to hesitate, causes us to want to shrink back. And I want to try to bring this up in a way that I think oftentimes we don't think about suffering as witnesses, but I think it's very important. I was having a conversation with a pastor a year or two ago. He was talking about a lot of the difficulties that he's faced as a pastor. A lot of the pains that he's had is very uh, emotional conversation for him. And he got to a point where he started to get a bit choked up and tears were coming down his eyes. And he was like, I know the scriptures. I know that there, that there is persecution for the saints. I know there's difficulty. I know there's suffering. And I expected all those things to happen, he said, but I didn't expect it to come from those within the church that I care about the most. He said, I didn't expect it to come. He didn't, I, I didn't expect the, the, the lies. I expected lying, the slander and all those things, the gossip, all of that. I expected all that. I didn't expect it to come from inside the church. Many pastors, many church leaders, many Christians have either disengaged or completely disassociated with the church, which is the primary vehicle for the mission of God empowered by the Holy Spirit, because of hurt that's come from within the church. And the reason I want to bring that up today, even though I know the Apostle Paul is talking about the hurt that he's going to experience from those outside of the church. I know that's what Luke is focusing on here, but I believe for many of us, the hurt that is most likely to cause us to disengage from the mission of God is probably not from those who aren't Christians, but potentially from those who are Christians. And the reason I say that is because there have been many who have disengaged. There have been many who have said they're done with the church. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine how, how many outreaches, how much ministry, how much evangelism the church has missed out on and not been able to do because people have been hurt by those inside the church and then disengaged from the church. I can't help but wonder how much potential we have as a church, as his witnesses that is unrealized or unfulfilled because the deepest pain that we have felt, because the pain that has caused us to want to quit, because the pain that has caused us to consider no longer pressing forward is from those within the church. I often wonder how much does that unresolved bitterness that we have, maybe with individuals within the church, maybe with the church at, at, at large, maybe with the specific local churches have caused us to shrink back. We need to have appropriate expectations, family, on multiple, multiplication, on multiple occasions in the Bible we are told to practice patience with each other. That same word for patience is also very rightly translated as long-suffering. We see this over and over again. We see calls in the Bible for us as Christians to forgive each other. You have to realize the only people who need to practice forgiveness are those who have been offended and hurt. What's my point? That the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, is letting us know, hey, even in the family of God, you're going to suffer hurt. You're going to have to practice patience. You're going to have to practice forgiveness, even in the family of God. If we're going to be who God has created us to be, you're going to need to learn how to forgive when you're offended. 
You have to learn how to practice long-suffering as the Holy Spirit empowers you to do so. The Holy Spirit wants us to have realistic expectations about being his witnesses. I believe that there are a few things that cause us to shrink back from being an active, integral part of the church more than what we refer to as church hurt. Many pastors, many leaders, many members have completely given up on it altogether. And I'm not trying to make light of this anymore that I'm trying to make light of those that are, anymore that I'm trying to make light of the suffering of Christians that are suffering, suffering from, from those who persecute the church. I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to make light of any of that. I know it hurts when people sin against us, when people assume the worst about us, when people gossip about us or lie about us or don't follow through with their commitments or don't support us the way that we desire or expect them to do so. As someone who has experienced all of those things as a pastor, I get that it's very difficult and painful and can make you just want to get away from it all. But part of my point today is that we shouldn't be caught off guard by it. I'm not saying we shouldn't feel it. I'm not saying we shouldn't acknowledge it. I'm saying we shouldn't be caught off guard by it. I want us to zoom out a bit and just consider how much us disengaging because of those things will hinder us moving forward in the mission of God as his witnesses. It can be very, a very discouraging thing to consider the impact that this suffering has had for the church at large and our ability and our tendency to live as his witnesses. And that's one of the reasons I'm grateful for the second thing that I want to point out from this passage. And that is that the Holy Spirit can make us into relentless witnesses. The Holy Spirit can make us into relentless witnesses. I want us to look at verse 22 in chapter 20. It says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. That word constrained, it means to bind, it means to tie, it means to fasten something or to put under obligation. It's actually the same word that Luke uses in chapter 21, verse 11, where it says, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet. That's the same word as constrained that he used to refer to what the Holy Spirit was doing back in chapter 20 bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind, same Greek word, the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. The apostle Paul is using very strong language to give credit to the Holy Spirit for the reason he's continuing to do this, continuing on in the mission that God has called him to, even though those that love him, maybe those who that love him the most are trying to get him to stop. He says, I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, man, I got to do it. He doesn't just say, no, 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 I'm determined. I'm determined. I'm going to do whatever God calls me to do. I'm determined to do it. That's not what he says. He says, I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit. I'm bound to this. The Holy Spirit is powerfully working in me and leading me towards this. He gives credit to the power and the strength of God. He doesn't give credit to himself or to his own strength. I know I've said it before, but it's easy to look at what the apostle Paul does and what he's willing to sacrifice for the gospel and think, man, Paul was amazing. But here Paul is saying, no, I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is moving me in this direction. And verses 12 through 14 help us to see just how powerful this restraining of the Holy Spirit is. He says, and when we heard this, we and the, we, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. He's saying they just all came to the conclusion, this man is not going to change his mind. 
This work that the Holy Spirit has done in this man's life, is just, he's just going to continue on doing this. We are wasting our time. Let the Lord's will be done. You know, for a lot of us as Christians, or maybe for a lot of us at different times in our walk as Christians, for a lot of us, it's hard to persuade us to intentionally share our faith with others. They're saying we couldn't persuade Paul to stop. We couldn't persuade him to not go to Jerusalem. This is the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. They just eventually quit and threw their hands up. And he's saying, this is not my own strength. Even though he knew it would be painful for him, he knew he wouldn't see his friends in Ephesus again. He knew his friends were trying to talk him out of it. The Holy Spirit constrained him. The Holy Spirit is able to make us into relentless witnesses. The Holy Spirit is able to make you into a relentless witness. And that means in some ways we need to change the way that we talk. We need to change the way that we talk. There are many Christians who have a a tendency to repeatedly complain about how the church or about how Christians aren't as engaged in reaching out to others as we should be. It is a very easy thing for the church these days to complain about. My problem is it seems we're often better at using our voices to do, to do some complaining than we are at using our voices to ask God to do some constraining in our hearts. We are better at complaining about how the church is not who we're supposed to be, how we're not reaching out as much as we're supposed to out of church. All we're focusing on is ourselves, and we spend more time and energy doing that than we do praying to the one who can constrain the very hearts of the people you're complaining about. If he can do this in the Apostle Paul's life, who, if you remember earlier in the book of Acts, didn't want anything to do with Jesus, was ready to kill anybody who followed Jesus. And now what we see in his life is the Holy Spirit has come in after he was saved by Jesus. And now he said, I'm constrained by the Spirit. This is leading me in this direction. My guess is the people you're complaining about aren't trying to kill Christians. My guess is they're not trying to persecute the church. What I'm saying is if the Holy Spirit is able to constrain this man, able to constrain Paul and lead him in this direction such that nothing would stop him, such that he was relentlessly pursuing the mission that God had given him, he can change the people that you're complaining about. He can change the church that you're complaining about. He can change the people whose lack of effort that you're seeing has caused you to be bitter. He can change them. It is his power alone that does this. We need to change the way that we talk. That person, that church, that ministry, that maybe isn't joining God on his mission as they should, pray for them. God is able to constrain and bind their hearts towards what he is calling them to. This truth should cause us to pray for others. It should also cause us to pray for ourselves. If you notice a fear in yourself, you notice a hesitancy in your heart to boldly testify to the gospel of God's grace, if you notice that you're afraid of what people might say or what people might do or what people might think of you if you share Christ with them, pray for God to bind and constrain your heart to his mission and his purposes. Pray for your heart. Pray that God will work in your heart in this way, this powerfully, with this level of strength in your life, because we see in his word he is able to do so. The Holy Spirit is able to make us into relentless witnesses. The third point I want to draw draw out from this passage is that the Holy Spirit helps us reorder how we value our lives. The Holy Spirit helps us reorder how we value our lives. I'll read that, uh, those verses in Acts chapter 20 again. It reads, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, 
not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I remember when we were just about to start Midtown Two Notch. This is probably talking 2011, 2012, something like that. And uh, we were telling people, yeah, we want to serve uh, impoverished communities along Two Notch Road. We, we had some neighborhoods that we were targeting a bit. And in those, some of those neighborhoods are no longer, are no longer present and, and exist as the same neighborhood. Uh, but we were, I remember people <laughs> literally trying to recruit people to the team, to the church plant team. And they're like, you, wait, you going, you going where? Wait, what part, of, what part of Columbia again? Right, right. Show me on the map. This, this part right here? Yeah. And I was just sharing. It's like, yeah, so a lot of the, the brokenness that we see, and I was sharing some of, the, some of the details. It's like some of the crime rates and things like that. I won't go into details right now. I had Christians look me in my face and say, I'm not doing it because you're there. Because those are the parts of the city that you're trying to, I'm, I'll, I'll pray for y'all. I'll pray for y'all. I had Christians say this to my face. It was uh, about this time last year, actually, when we first started doing uh, prayer walks in the colony apartments where we just had the health fair and all that. And I remember we were just praying, God, where would you want us, you want us to focus with our prayer walks and all that? And I remember, and if this is you, just keep looking at me. Nobody will know that you don't want to say this. And I remember sharing it with Christians, some in this church, some not in this church. And it's like, well, you going, you going to the colonies? The colonies was, is, is where you're going. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that one. I mean, all of a sudden your head itch. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that one. I can't believe that's what y'all are choosing to do. There's so many other places that you can go. There are a number of times when we see the Apostle Paul do things for the benefit of his own safety. There's a number of times where that happens. I won't go into all the details today. I just wanted to acknowledge it. So we can't conclude that in verse 24 that he's saying that he literally doesn't care about his life or his own safety. I don't believe that's what he's saying. But at the same time, we do see that he does not value his personal safety in this life more than he values his role as a witness of Christ. He does not value his personal safety in this life more than he values his role as a witness of Christ. I'll read verse 24 again. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I want to say it a different way. He doesn't let his previous hurt nor his fear of being hurt in the future prevent him from continuing on as a witness of Christ. It's not that he doesn't value safety or his life at all. It's just that he value, he, it's just that he values his temporary, unpromised safety in this life far less than he values other people's eternal, never-changing, never-ending safety in the next life in Jesus. It's not that he doesn't value safety, it's just reordered for him. He's saying, I'm not gonna promise me trying to make sure my life is safe in this life, which none of us can actually promise, which none of us can actually assure will be the case for ourselves. He's like, I don't value that more than I value the assured, eternal, never-ending safety in the next life for all who follow Jesus. It's actually, in, in some way, I believe the fact that he values safety, that he's willing to compromise his own safety for the salvation of others. One thing that I know to be true we're all willing to suffer for something. You, if you are hearing my voice right now, you already possess the capacity to suffer greatly for the things you value the most. 
You already do. Many of you, you have people in your life that you take a bullet for without a second thought. Many of us are willing to sacrifice so many things for our career, for our families, for us to be able to live the kind of life that we want to live. We're willing to pay a very high price for these things. But I often think, as I said earlier, we're waiting for the mission of God to go on sale. We're waiting for it to come at a reduced rate, at a reduced cost to us, at a reduced level of personal sacrifice. We like God's mission. We just want it at half price. We want the discounted mission where it doesn't cost as much. So that tells me if we want to become more willing to suffer for the sake of the mission, what we need isn't more toughness. Hear me on this. What we need is more love. What we need is not more toughness. What we need is not to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be more relentless this time. I'm going to try hard. What we need is more love because we always sacrifice for what we love. We always sacrifice for what matters the most to us. And what we need, what we need is the love of God. We need the love of the one who came to earth with realistic expectations about what was going to happen to him. The one who came to earth knowing that he came to us to die as he bore witnesses, as he bore witness about his kingdom. We need the love of the one who was relentless as he came to bear witness about his kingdom. He was relentless when the Pharisees and the Sadducees hated him. He was relentless when they plotted behind his back and conspired together to have him killed. He was relentless in the Garden of Gethsemane when he knew what was awaiting him at the cross. He was relentless when he had to carry his own cross up the hill. He was relentless when his friends abandoned him in his darkest hour. He was relentless when they put the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet. He didn't let any of these, stop, these things stop him. He even endured death itself that we might come to know him and be able to be with him forever. That's the love that we need. We need to see his love and remember his love. We need to meditate on it day and night. We need to remember the good news of Jesus and everything that he did for us. We need to remember that this is the type of love that is the reason why we worship him. It's the reason why we sing to him. Because he said no matter the cost, he was ready to pay it. He valued our eternal safety and comfort and life over his own safety and comfort and life in this world. And that is the love that we need. That's the love that the Apostle Paul had. Love straight from God himself. And if the people of God, if we're going to be willing to endure suffering at the hands of those in the church and suffering at the hands of those outside of the church, that's the love that we need to fix our eyes on. We need to remember that this is the love that we have received and trust that as we continue to seek him, that we will be changed by his spirit. That's the love that we need to have if we as the people of God are going to say, yes, Lord, whether you're sending me down the street or sending me to another country, whether I feel like it's safe, whether I feel like it's not safe, I'm willing to do whatever you're calling me to. If we're going to live like that, the love of God is the love that we need to be shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We need the love of Christ. And may God through his spirit bless us with that love today and every day. Family, will you pray with me?